Welcome to the Creative Plan Podcast Network. Join us as we share our favorite RPGs, one-shot games, tabletop games, reviews of items, and convention panels, and other exciting things that we run into from time to time. Sit back and enjoy the show. Hi, this is Kelly, a.k.a. Trixie from Ragnarok and Roll, a sign to Ragnarok story, and Tilda Wimblewick from D&D Journey of the 5th Edition. First off, I would just like to say thank you to everyone for listening to our varied adventures, as well as for rating us on iTunes and RPGpodcast.com. If you haven't rated us yet, we would greatly appreciate it if you could. And if you're looking for more ways to support our efforts, we are now on Patreon, a great site where you can help us continue making more podcasts, as well as some special surprises for our patrons. If you can, please look us up at www.patreon.com cppn. Every little bit helps. And again, thank you for listening. So we just have to speak up through the mask. My name is Cynthia Ward. I write fiction, occasional nonfiction. My most recent book is The Adventure of the Golden Woman, which is the final volume of the Black Thirsty Ages. The Nisha Shell, I wrote Writing the Other Practical Approach, which is a writing guide for writing races, religions, genders, and other significant categories that are different from your own. That's what I bet. Oh, thank you. I'm David Lee Summers, and by night I operate telescopes up at Kitt Peak National Observatory, and my day job is actually writing science fiction and fantasy, and uh, my most recent book is Breaking the Code, which is out from eSpec Books, just came out uh, earlier this year, and it's uh, basically about... uh, it's set during the early days of World War II, and it's about a skinwalker interfering with uh, Marines trying to recruit Navajo code talkers. Oh, and, uh, that's not really cool. <laughs> and uh, also a comic book experiment, Guinevere and the Stranger, which I have at our dealer's table in there, which is basically an adapted chapter of my uh, comic book, or of my novel, uh, Dragon's Fall. Rise of the Scarlet Order Vampires, so it's basically one of those chapters redone. Um, and of course, I've been writing and, and publishing for about 20 some years, uh, own Hadrosaur Productions, and have a, uh, have a number of books that we've published, both of my own and of other people at our table in the dealer's room. And I would say, as far as the topic of this panel, it, it's this whole, this panel's topic is the whole reason I'm more of a plotter than a pantser, is uh, figuring out how I want to get, uh, how I want to put in enough complications to uh, get my heroes through a problem, but without, um, you know, but, and give my heroes enough abilities without writing myself into a corner, basically. And happy birthday. Thank you. <laughs> I've been outed. <laughs> it's Facebook's fault. Yes. <laughs> seen me here. I've been uh, publishing for about 30 years now. That's a little scary. Uh, <laughs> novels and short stories and novellas. And uh, if you're uh, an analog reader, you may have seen the, in the March-April issue. Uh, and then it goes right out of my <laughs> don't you? <laughs> Invasive Species uh, by the column that ran earlier this year. So if you are an analog subscriber, and that ballot comes around for, yeah, remember me, please, <laughs> have a look. Um, and I also uh, have a, a novel that theoretically is coming out next year and I'm working with a small publisher. And uh, 
I'm not sure their editorial staff is uh, kind of up to my standards, so we'll, we'll see where that goes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, that's me. Uh, my name is Bruce Davis. Uh, I write fantasy and science fiction. Most of my work is available from Brick Cave Media. Brickcave.media is the website. Uh, my current work is uh, Lord of the Rings meets Law and Order. Um, the uh, third book in the Magic Law series hopefully will be out in the spring. Gold, uh, that's Silver Magic. Platinum, gold, Platinum Magic and Gold Magic are already out. Uh, that's my night job. My day job is as a trauma surgeon and critical care surgeon at a level one trauma center in Scottsdale. Um, I'm also a amateur historian. Um, my path to medicine was very odd. I have a minor in history and, uh, from the university and spent a lot of time with it. So I will be talking later today about uh, medical history and why the Roman legionaries got better care than some war soldiers did interesting topic for those who want to write realistic injuries for your sword and sorcery hero. Um, so without further ado, all right I'll take it. <laughs> um, so the whole idea here is how do we get our heroes in trouble and then get, get them out of trouble in a realistic manner. Um, and I guess I'll take off with that. I'm an inveterate pantser, Dave, so. <laughs> I frequently write myself in the corners. Um, the question is how do you write yourself in well, the that, That's a good question. Um, I think that when we're writing, particularly when we're writing the kind of novels that most of us do, there's a lot of complications and action that's going on. That's what makes it interesting. Those things can be physical. They can be mental challenges. Um, I think if you're going to get your hero out of trouble in a realistic manner, you need to do a good job with your foreshadowing. And people don't know what that is. That's where you build into the story in the beginning, you know, that your hero is actually ex-special forces, which is why he can use all those fancy weapons. Right. Or that your hero's best friend is a powerful magician, you know, that he can call on, but the magician isn't really terribly brave, so the hero has to be brave, whatever. But you've got to set that stuff up. You can't just pull it out of the hat at the very end. I'm not of the, the school of thought that I know many authors espouse when they're writing these kind of things, that you should put your hero in trouble and then put him in more trouble, and then just keep putting him in more trouble. I think that tends to get cartoonish after a while, in my hands anyway. Perhaps if you're a plotter, you can plot that well. I tend to go overboard with that, write 1,500 words, and say, oh, this is all crap. I've got to go back and start over. Um, but that's my take on it. I think the key to being realistic and getting heroes out of trouble is building into the story the little hints and the little clues that this ability is going to be available. Or, you know, was it Tolstoy or somebody who said if you describe a room with a shotgun on the Mantelpiece, somebody better get shot by the fourth page. Yeah, something like that. I was yeah. one of the Russian writers, I can never yeah. remember. If, if, there, if there's a, a, a rifle over the mantelpiece, someone better get shot by the second act. Yeah, <laughs> and vice versa. If someone's going to get shot, it better be have that thing on the mantelpiece. <laughs> right. before. Yes, it works that way too. Yeah. Um, I, I kind of flow back and forth between pantser and plotter. I like to have an outline, but it's usually very brief. It's less than a page. Um, I, I like to know where I'm headed generally. Uh, and, and then I can, if, I have to develop a problem for the hero. First, you have, you have to have a problem. And then I may not always know how he's going to solve it when I start. <laughs> And part of the process of exploring, well, we could do it this way, or we could do it that way, or we could go here. Sometimes the hero has to go down all of those avenues to find the solution. And sometimes I don't know what the solution is going to be till I get there. Because the, I, I start with an idea of who the hero is, but then the character develops and kind of takes over. And then certain ideas become more natural for him and, or her, 
and uh, certain certain ones are, are like, no, she'd look at that. No, no, that's that's not. So I I really often don't know till I get there, and then a lot of times I have to go back to the beginning <laughs> and put that sense. little bit in. Then. But that foreshadowing, I have to plant this here and plant that there, and makes oh, and you know, it would be better if this character actually had a PhD and whatever, you know. <laughs> yeah. And I was going to say that. Uh, you know, you, that struck a chord with me because my last editor at Lake is publishing did just kind of what you said, Bruce, of you have to have, you know, more trouble and more trouble and, you know, just keep building it up. And, and she kept saying, well, you've got this chapter here that's kind of, you know, in, in my horror novel, The Astronomer's Crypt, and she said, you've got this chapter here that's kind of light and, you know, it's just character moments and things. And it's like, I, I think we should really build up the action here. And I was like, have you ever read Stephen King? You know, yeah. the somewhat, yeah. you know, known horror writer. Yeah. You know, who has a little bit of a following. <laughs> um, you know, that's exactly. Yeah, that, that's exactly you know the kind of thing that he does. Is you know, the reason that you care about the trouble that they've fallen into is because you actually care about the characters. He he does moments where you build up and you get to know these people and you get to know them as people. And I think that's I think that is an important and underrated part of the whole process of writing science fiction fantasy. And it's actually I think a big part of making you know we talk about willing suspension of disbelief a lot in science fiction and fantasy. And I think that's one of the ways you you build that is to see you know yes maybe this is the brave stalwart captain of a starship traveling you know wherever, but you know he still likes a good you know, whiskey and, you know, maybe likes a good book or whatever, you know, we, we get to know him and can relate to that person. And it, that goes a long way to building that wanting to follow and see them solve whatever problem you, we've written them into. Like he likes right. his girl, right? Yeah. <laughs> Just a, a quick side note before we let Cynthia have her crack at this. And, and that is that beware of people who tell you that there is a formula or a set of rules for how to write a novel that you, you must always do this you must always say you must never do that because there are exceptions to every rule know the rules know when to break them. all right right well the thing you're talking about but if you're writing a, a very short story breakneck action you're going to not just build character through the action but the longer the piece gets I mean, you would not sit through a, like a symphony as long as Beethoven symphony. You would not change the pace because it would be exhausting, and it wouldn't matter that it was that it that it was brilliant. The thing you're talking about, you guys are talking about, with nothing. One book he's proposing, one thing after another. This is part of it. The other part is that there are a couple different ways to go forward your plot, your story, your novel. And there are two things you should do. You shouldn't you shouldn't only do one side. One is so as you go along you're either telling your character no or you're telling your character yes but. So you don't say no all the way because I stopped reading books where it's just no. And you don't say just yes. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Because that's the most boring story of all, where you know the spoiled brat princess misplaces her crown jewel and she finds them on page three because there are no obstacles. So those are ways to get around the problem that you talk about. But my main observation is that plot is character. So what happens will the problems they get into and things they try and the way they finally fix it or fail is inherent in the character. Like, if you open a story and it's about, you know, a Conan the Barbarian type mercenary, and then the story is about how the farmer needs to get some seed after the drought, there's a logical disconnect if Conan is suddenly now the only one worried about that. And you might help a farmer. <laughs> Trivial side quest. <laughs> plot, plot and character are the same thing in that regard. I think when we're talking about the kind of 
complications we're introducing, they don't have to be the bad guy doing something or the environment doing something. They can be part of that character. So the character knows that he has to do something, but his own character is such that he is rebelling against that. You know, he's the bad guy who's got to do something good, or the good guy who's got to sacrifice somebody to, you know, for the greater good. I mean, those are kind of cliche things, but you can build into the character that sense of conflict that the surface event may not be that significant, but if you've developed your character in such a way, it may have tremendous significance for, for him, and that actually becomes a big part of the problem solving as well. And I think that's why, to both your points, you, character has to be primary in the story if you're writing, I think even a short story, it's just how you reveal character. I'm, I'm character driven in all of my writing. There's a lot of action, but I, I've got, I've got I, if, if you're a pantser like me, that means you write by the seat of your pants. You don't have an outline and a plot. Um, I know authors will do a 30,000 word outline for a 80,000 word novel. It's like, the, just write the novel. <laughs> um, but you, you've got to start with character before you can even get into the rest of that stuff. I have to like my character if I'm going to put him in trouble. Otherwise, I just don't care about him. I just don't I have the best source of insight where you're talking about who among us is not their worst, their own worst enemy when it comes to writing. Like, I am, sure. <laughs> I am totally my own worst enemy. My bad habits, my distractions, my character flaws. That's what writes the story. If you, if you really want to, you know, if you really want to have a nice, clean house, you know, give a writer a deadline in two days. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, all this being said, there is, there is something to be said for uh, the kind of trope that you have your your character do. Your character has a problem. And he does something to fix it and makes it worse, you know, and then has to go. So that let's let's not throw the, the baby out with the bathwater. Uh, uh, you 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 don't want to just you know over and over and over and over again, but uh, trying trying to fix the problem and either because the solution is an error or because the uh, uh, there's something in the character. Uh, character's personality that, you know, they're, oh, well, this is simple. I'll do, do, just do this, oops. Uh, <laughs> uh, sometimes that's then what is makes the situation worse and, and you go on from there. So they do have to have obstacles. It's it's not the, uh, what is that, the, the A-team uh, uh, motif where first you, you describe the problem, uh, what, the, what you're going to going to do, then you tell the others what you're going to do, and then you go out and do it. You know, it's like, okay, but... <laughs> oh, that's why yeah. I never watched her. Yeah, yeah, I, I didn't either, but I, I've heard that said of it, so anyway. You, you need to have, because as we go through life, we don't solve all our problems right off the bat. We make mistakes. So to, to keep, make your character realistic, you can't just... Uh, I'll say, oh, I don't need to fix that. I, I'm working on a novel right now where, I, and I just love this character. I've got like three other unsold novels uh, on the same character, and, and this is going to be the final one in, in the set. And, and I've grown to really love it. And the, I, the first draft I went through, and here's the problem. Oh, well, here's the solution. And, and like, no. <laughs> that, that's not going to work. I, we've got a. I'm, I'm so caught up with all the other things going on that that particular problem that's been kind of driving, the, theoretically driving the, the course of the novel, and he just steps into the situation and says, "Oh well, here's just." No, oh, that's a very short novel. <laughs> <laughs> that's this moment it is, and that's part, another part of the problem. So I need to. Go back into it now and say, okay, what's going to you know, screw up here? That uh... <laughs> kind, of, kind of departing a little bit from this, but not really. What's always 
been hard for me. And, and what is also interesting is how much of the stuff that your character doesn't know you can get in and still stay within whatever point of view you're writing from. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes if, if this problem like, here's the solution, oops, well, why is it an oops? It seemed like a good idea. You've got to kind of build in something either ahead of time or some explanation for why that was an oops. Yeah. And, and that's the kind of thing. It frustrates me when I read other stuff where the character does, here's the solution, oops. Well, that oops came out of the blue. Why, why was that a problem? You never hinted that that was a problem. It feels like a cheat. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you're the tension then is to how to build in that background in whatever world you've made so that yeah it looks like a good idea at the time you know but oh gee maybe that wasn't such a good idea no and i think there's a very real world approach to this which is that sometimes there are two or three apparent solutions to something of which one or two might be better than a third one and but for one reason or another, this one over here looks like the right idea. Maybe the obvious solution, right, right. but it might have unintended consequences. And you know, you can certainly, or and you can have unreliable friends too, which lead you to, which might have their own motivations for it. Your own character inclines you to. Well, we have this problem. Hulk's fat. <laughs> the audience. Unless they're very, very unsophisticated again, uh, indeed, or not, are not going to be going. Oh yeah, Hulk smash will definitely work. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just had forty years of that governance, and it didn't work. <laughs> I have in my novels there are two main characters. One is much younger than the other because they're both species, different species of vampires, basically. And the older one has seen everything. She'll say the younger one is more like I'm going to pick the gun and just go right through the problems. The older one is like, well, I don't think that will work. Or have you considered? But the younger one has not had the experience, this particular experience. So we've gone through this scenario, and this is based on me throughout my entire life. <laughs> Somebody is like, well, that probably won't work that well. Oh, sure it will, I say with all the confidence. <laughs> and so, but the older vampire also knows the more she meddles, the worse it gets. Sometimes people love to make their own mistakes. So some of her mistakes have incredibly bad consequences, fatal consequences. So yeah, your own nature, not everybody approaches things Hulk smash. <laughs> Ignorant Hulk smash thing, but you can have friends, sidekicks, you know, coworkers or whatever, who are like, are you sure about that? And then at least the reader is tipped off. Maybe that's not there's there's something there's something ahead to be considered, even if the character either won't consider it or is not sufficiently we do this all the time, not weighing the odds correctly because we don't know what they are and we misjudge them. Or we have imperfect information. Or you're lacking information. Right. There's, there's always two complicated things. Up. And I find this more and more in my own life as I go on and do stuff. Is the, uh, is the um, like for want of an ale, kind of problems or the uh, Eliza, there's a there's a hole in my bucket. Is <laughs> <laughs> I go to do something. Oh wait, I have to go to do something else first, and then I go to do that. Oh no, this is going to require me to do this first, and it's like then you get this long chain, and you got to keep track of it. And you work your way back, and it's like yeah. My, my garage is full of tools yes. that were bought for one specific thing that has never arisen again. <laughs> I've had entire days like. like I'm going to print out a, that everybody hears. I'm going to print out a page. Oh, there's no ink. No ink. Oh, the story doesn't have any ink. Oh, the power work. I mean, like, you need one step forward, but you'll you yeah. make 50 back. Exactly. That's, that's the kind of thing, though, that when you're writing that, 
can either add to your tension or become comedic relief sometimes. Yes. This is, and, and, and I kind of enjoy doing that with my characters if I feel like we need to kind of break this deadly, serious thing, you know. Yeah. Maybe not even a main character, a side character. Yeah. Like, you know, I need to fix the whole Oh, I don't have a straw. Oh, I got to get this. Oh, I can't. And we're spending a chapter running around, you yeah. know, while everyone else is, but we got to solve the problem. <laughs> this is actually, you're describing a screwball comedy. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It, I, I love screwball comedy. It's just a series there, of frustrations. Right. And, Exasperations, and yes. A really good example of that I read recently, which is not science fiction, but is a romantic comedy slash mystery crime. It's, Dial A for aunties. What was that? Dial A for aunties. This woman accidentally kills her blind date. And the solution that her mom and aunties propose is, well, they need to hide the body because they have a wedding to throw. So <laughs> almost the entire plot is we have to get rid of the body. Yeah, I mean, it was an accident, but we deal with the authorities, and it's just like... Because the authorities show up, everything is wrecked. <laughs> it's just, it's, if you enjoy, like, a screwball comedy, I guess it's being made in a movie, which doesn't surprise me a bit, but that is a really expert take on that yeah, kind of plot, yeah. where every time you want to fix the problem, it becomes more and more complicated. Of course, the body is not static. It's, Starting a lot, <laughs> yeah. and they're stuck on an island for the wedding. Uh, <laughs> surrounded by people. And the, and the whole thing compounding. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Now, that's a very. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Speaking of on, on something Cynthia was saying, another way you can complicate this is the experience the character has. Experience absolutely, but it's a wrong experience for the problem. But they're trying to apply that experience yeah. where it uh, just makes sense. Yeah. When your only tool is a hammer, everything is a nail. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that, yeah. 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 How do the rest of you go about building those things in when when you're starting, say, new character? You've got a, a series, you've got an established set of characters, you know what they are. But when you're starting out, you know, um, I've always found, for me, I've always found it difficult if I want a particular skill set. You know, it's easy to say, oh, he did this before. But that's just kind of an info dump that's like, well, what does that have to do with how I've set this up and started the novel? So how, how, how quickly do you do you build those things in? Because you know you're going to need the skills, and we've said we have to foreshadow. But I think part of the skill in doing that is introducing those things in a way that it doesn't seem jarring. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to take an example from a uh, story I'm working on right now, with, without giving away the whole plot, uh, the the main character as part of the solution to the problem, it's gonna need a supply of mice. Now, first of all, okay, she is a researcher and she is uh, running running tests on the food on this new planet, on the vegetation on this new planet to make sure that it's not toxic to humans, right? So she has a supply of mice to test, okay. Uh, what's the problem with having mice? Well, the, the uh, native race on this planet is very, uh, very reluctant to allow anything from th that's not native onto their planet. They, they just, you know, it's that whole invasive species thing. Um, so they get very upset. So one of the first encounters is, mice? You have mice? You can't have mice? No, no, it, it's okay. Your elders have, have approved me to have the mice for testing my food before I eat it. Oh, okay. So, what, what is one of the first conflicts turns out then to be part of the ultimate solution. Right, right. 
Now, one of the things I, I do, it's interesting the way you phrased the question about characters that you haven't met before, because I, I'm kind of a big believer in, in the fix-up novel, starting with some short stories and starting to put them together. And a lot of times I get, part of it is I just get to know my characters through having written them in short form before I really start writing them as a novel. And so I kind of get to know what their what their weaknesses are. You know, they solve this this problem that they can solve in, in five or six thousand words, and I've kind of gotten to know them. And so when I go to put them into a novel, it becomes kind of okay. I know I know where their weaknesses lie. I know what things I'm going to throw at them to to make that kind of an interesting thing. Now I have done one novel where I didn't start that way. And I think I did that by a lot of the characters were, you know, they weren't like exact people I knew, but I built them on templates of types of people I knew. And I think, again, it, it's sort of knowing where the real weaknesses, limitations of certain people, and throwing people with certain skill sets together that might or might not, some of them might be able to solve this, and then you eliminate someone who doesn't who may have the most important skill set of all and then everyone else has to figure it out at that point so just a, a, a thought here in terms of you know how do you give your character these problems that they then have to solve them um, and not too easily um, the, one of the, the key elements that a writer uses in this process is the antagonist so a, a, a person uh, who is, is actively trying to interfere with what the main character is trying to do. So that's, that's one method of, of having obstacles, roadblocks, is to have a really good antagonist, a really good believable antagonist, who isn't snidely whiplash, but maybe like, yeah, uh, uh. Uh, but, but uh, and sometimes the antagonist can actually be a sympathetic character. Oh, that, I think that they have is, to be. Yeah, that's, uh, if I can interrupt, and I'm sorry, but yeah. I think the best antagonists are those that are completely sympathetic. I mean, no one is the villain of their own story. And so while their motivation, their methods may be things that you might abhor, you have to make their motivation something that someone point can say, well, yeah, I can see why you would want to do something about that. What you're doing may not be the right thing, but you know it's it's a solution to your problem because the antagonist has a problem right. too that right. they're trying to solve, just mm -hmm. like your character. Yeah, and in fact, I think one of the most fun sets of problems I ever had in a in a story was having two sets of, of people that were essentially aligned trying to solve the same problem with two different approaches, approaches to it. And, those, and, and it becomes kind of a competition to who solves the problem. And, and you know, the outcome might be good in, in both cases, but and it's not necessarily going to be good for the other side, depending on who and, solves and it And they first. might be actively trying to interfere with each other, so I get it done first. <laughs> and, and I've even seen that kind of thing fractured up even higher, that they used to be friends. Yeah. Or even relatives, mm -hmm. yeah. uh, and now are bitter enemies because of this split in this approach to this problem. I heard an interesting take on antagonists regarding this made me able to finish at least part of the book, which was that the antagonist has the same goal as the protagonist. Okay. And not only that, but in many ways they are a mirror of each other. And then I realized that in my Lucy Parker books, the antagonist was not the villain. The antagonist, more often than not, was the woman she loved. And so it would be easy, very easy to assume that the villain the antagonist, and frequently the villain is the antagonist. But the but this is described in, in the book take off your pants, which is pant advice for pants is <laughs> I forget the writer's exact name. I know everybody laughs and as intended, but it's a very good book. I reread it several times in a row. 
Then I got out several stories I'd never been able to solve. I rewrote them and I sold them. Because it was able to die and fix the Lucy Parker novellas that weren't working. Because I, there was other good advice in there. It's not just the, but the idea that the antagonist is a mirror image. I'm sure if we thought about it, we'd think the movie and the books were in fact that was going on. I mean, in Star Wars, Darth Vader is so much the opposite of Luke Skywalker, he's his dad. Actually, that was kind of what I just would, another example of people who are kind of mirrors each other, Moriarty. Yeah. Yeah. And I was just going to say, you brought up the points and did, I was just, when you were talking about that, like Darth Vader, I mean, he just seems so dastardly. But um, I, I was wondering if you all, so what you're talking about is kind of answering this question partly, but I want to put this out to all of you, like, you know, you've got the really horrible, black-hearted villain in so many things, but especially Disney movies, I often thought, you know. And then I remember reading, actually, that people who wrote Finding Nemo, one of their goals was to create conflict without having to have that nasty villain so they used you know they are our friends <laughs> <laughs> so i just yeah you know i mean it seems like what you all are talking about is even maybe more middle ground but i wonder if you could talk about that range of some of the problems that the antagonists might face from someone besides it well there are different ways to structure your problems that don't always involve a an antagonist in the sense of a character um a number, a number of adventure novels involve the environment as the antagonist. How do you so how do you trek across the Arctic to safety? You know, and what do you encounter on the way? Um, or it it could simply be a a social problem. You're an outcast in a society, and and how are you going to just get about and live when you're either being hunted or they. They want to take care of you, but you don't particularly want to be taken care of. Um, so that there, there's a lot of different ways you can structure your obstacles and your problems that don't necessarily involve a character antagonist. I think the key if you're going to write a character antagonist, though, is not to have the Disney cartoon Blackheart villain without some explanation or motivation for them. Somebody could be completely evil. They just want to watch the world burn. Well, how did they get there? That's the interesting yeah. part of it. They weren't born that way. Um, how did they become that? And and so that backstory that if you can build that in, and that's also a bit of a challenge. Or I think makes that, that way maybe their childhood showing that. Yeah. Well, however you want to do it, there are a number of ways to do that. But but that's what makes that totally evil, awful thing. Believable number one, and also far more interesting. You know, if it's just if it's just uh, Godzilla, you know, rampaging monster. Well, monsters just doing what monsters do. You know? <laughs> it, it's not good for us, but it's he just out there being in best health. You know, essentially just an element of the environment. Yeah, we just have to survive. <laughs> Jim. Um, Along those lines, if, if you've got kind of an ensemble of characters and you've got these bad guys that range, and men and women that range from a little bit bad to really evil, you can't really give the backstory on all of those characters without turning them back and forth, right? Well, that's, that's the craft. And yes, you're right. You can't just dump this on them, you know. Oh, I'm evil because when I was a child, all this happened and you go off on this long tangent. you have 10 characters that are I think you don't you don't have to get that detail. You can build just little things in. The, the best writers, the writers that I love the best, are able to do that in a couple of sentences. I mean, one of my favorite writers of all time is Elmore Leonard, and and he can structure your side character bad guy with two sentences. And I'm like. How do you do that? <laughs> you know, and it's immediately obvious who this person is and how they got there. It's like two sentences, man. Teach me. <laughs> well, I, I would argue that you don't you don't need to give everybody a backstory either because I think the Star Wars universe would be a lot better off if we didn't get a three movie trilogy <laughs> devoted to how 
Darth Vader became bad because everyone kind of understands in the first three movies, the ones released first, I guess it's all confusing number now. People understand that his point is to twirl his mustache and swirl his cape. That he's a Victorian melodrama bad guy and Hollywood seems to have a current mania for giving you the back, background story of everybody because you can bring more movies out of it. But a lot of characters like Superman and, and Batman, it's useful to know their, their background, but we don't really need Sam Spade's origin story. We get a very vivid sense of what he's like and how but, his job might make him that way. I, I would argue that Hammett actually does sort of give you his origin story in little tiny bits and pieces and you structure it yourself but the character is so well done that you really believe that and the same the same is true of Raymond Chandler these are some of my my favorite authors of all time because despite Chandler's purple prose they can take a character and and give you a single paragraph and and this is all of a sudden a vivid character I think in Farewell My Love, when Chandler is talking about, uh, I forget the main character, his wife, you know, and, and he uses just a few, you know, she's a knife-edged blonde, uh-huh. okay? Oh my God. <laughs> that, just that phrase right there, to me, I don't know about everybody else, to me, that is just masterful. And I love that kind of writing. I wish I could emulate it. Yeah, and that, that was kind of the point that I was, I was going to get to, but, you know, my novels have five major characters, protagonists, or antagonistic characters, real antagonists as a set of viruses that go back to your point about environmental things. <clears throat> but the way I tried to solve the, the, the backstory problem was to do just what you were describing, drop in nuggets of backstory at the moment where they really contributed. So you didn't have to stop the story. Okay, now I'm going to give you three paragraphs of why this person is this way. Right. Just a little bit here, a little bit there. And over the course of the story, people get to know that. And I, I think that's what we've been talking about all along with get you, getting your hero out of trouble in a believable way. You know, yeah, they need this skill set or they need this information, but you've got to, the craft is dropping that in either in bits and pieces or in something that at the time may not seem terribly important but really is, really is vital. Sometimes it can be as simple as how did they say a certain line of dialogue, for instance, because I was thinking in terms of Darth Vader, the reason why Darth Vader is effective in the the original trilogy is partly James Earl Jones' masterful acting, where you start, you know, initially he's just cold and mean and, you know, cruel, but as as we get into Return of the Jedi, he starts having having that softening of the voice and everything. You can do that in your writing, where it's like you start revealing a little bit, and it's sometimes just half a line. You know, yeah. it might not even be a whole sentence of, of backstory. You start to realize that the wheels are kicking in the back of this character's mind. Sometimes you can just state things flat out, but I, I reread the. Uh... Recently, and it opens the description of, of uh, Sam Spade, which is generally like death, right? Yeah. But I think the line is something like this Sam Spade looked rather pleasantly like blonde Satan. Yeah. <laughs> and you're so, like, what? <laughs> one of my favorite opening lines is John Locke's Dangerous People, and it's from the point of view of a completely immoral assassin. And this guy is just, he has no redeeming qualities. And it's from his point of view. And the opening line is, I like children and rarely find it necessary to kill them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, as a hook, yeah. and as a, this is this character, yeah. that's beautiful. Yeah. And, and just a little bit. Rarely. Yes, exactly. Yeah. Which is actually a good use of, which is why you shouldn't kill all your bad birds. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Sometimes they can be very effective. Yeah. And, and uh, let's not forget the uh, reverse antagonist development where 
they, you start out believing this is one of the good guys, right? And then these little things happen, and then it's, it's right. revealed finally that they're actually working against what the the, the bank is trying to do. I'm going to ask Fred about essentially the reverse of that. I'm thinking, for example, if you ever saw the show Farscape? Oh yes. Each each season's villain. <laughs> kind of becomes part of the group next season. Yes. Yeah, and, and that is the more common development, I think, for antagonists, that they start out being really bad, and then as the writer or writers work with the characters, they realize that's going to be boring if they're just going to, they, they have to develop, they have to grow, and the way to have them grow is to soften and change and become better. Right, and that, that goes to the idea that very rarely are people actually just evil. Right. They simply have their own motivations and have their own things they want to accomplish. And then if you can bring them in alignment with what you're doing, oh, okay, then we can be friends. Mm -hmm. The enemy of my enemy is my friend. That's exactly. Last Jedi. Or, or was it the, yeah, I think it was the last Jedi. Ray and, and Kylo uh, both fighting against the Empire, and you're like, we're not on the same side anymore, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. um, when you were talking about how these antagonists and antagonists um, have solutions to the problem that both would work, but if they're working, if, if, if both of them are working on that solution, then what going to be mixed. The results are going to be mixed. They're both working on the solution at odds with each other. So that could distort the whole solution. Yep. Yeah. Sure can. And that's just another complication to throw your hair. And sometimes, you know, sometimes that ends up being the end of book one. Yeah. <laughs> or, well, okay. I, but it also can be a realistic ending because yeah. real life problems rarely have the perfect solution. The perfect solution. Every solution has an unintended consequence yes. or what is it, if, if we truly compromise, no one is happy, mm -hmm. exactly. you know. Um, but that's how life works, we have to compromise. But that's the point, right. if you are writing, I, I really am not terribly attracted or feel somewhat disappointed when I finish a novel and it's all wrapped up neatly. Yeah. You know, I prefer either, yes, it's wrapped up neatly, but this character over here was harmed. Or it's all wrapped up neatly, but nobody's really happy with that package. We'd really rather have something else. Somebody walked up really happy. And, and the, you know, the, the simple solution or the complex solution that solves everyone's problems leaves me a little bit disappointed at the end of the book. It's like, really? But as an example, in, in the, the novella that, that ran in analog this, this year, uh, Invasive Species, the, you think the problem when you start is the guy's wife is missing. And then you find out there's actually a different problem. And he, he's able to solve that problem. And then we find out what happened to his wife. We go, oh, he's still got a problem. But that's the end of the, the yeah, story. The the story. Yes. Yeah. Well, you're describing something that's very common in novels. If you think about it, it's in order to get it started to do. The characters are going along, and, and man, it looks like they're never going to get what they're after. And then there's problem changes. What appears to be or may even be a new problem arises, and it will actually help them get to their goal easily. Sometimes it can make it so that there are going to be many sequels instead. <laughs> well, that, you, if, you if you're smart, you leave that door open. Yeah. Even though, you, even though yeah. most of my books are standalones, it's yeah. all wrapped up. There's, you know, oh, we yeah. can pick this part of the story up and do another book out of it. Yeah. That's, that's, a, that's a point where the complication is such a sticking point, seems so insolvable that the character goes, well, I have to. You know, well, I'll never win the love of the fair prince or whatever. But I can rest well. It's all over. 
But I can rescue his crown jewels. And may that will be something I can salvage from this. Or I can join the army of the land or go work in the kitchen. And that turns out to be a door often to getting to the solution that they have given up their conception of the problem and that opens their ability to see other ways even though at the time they're pretty despairing pretty upset okay we're we're getting uh, just a few minutes left uh do you have any closing remarks or you want to tell people where else you're going to be uh, this convention um i will in 11 o'clock we'll be talking about uh, the history of ancient medicine and wound care. Um, but it, lots of interesting stuff if you're just interested, but I think it's relevant for particularly sword and sorcery type writers, um, unless you're invoking magic, if you're going to slice your hero up, know how to take care of it. Um, and that'll be at 11, I think, in room two. I'm not sure, I have to look it up. And then I'm on uh, one other panel, I think, this evening about your books turned into a series how do you how do you maintain that yeah. <laughs> and i will be signing autographs at noon if you have something of mine that you'd like me to sign please feel free to stop by and uh tomorrow at one o'clock here in the ballroom we're going to be discussing don't start nothing won't be nothing can drama exist when the characters follow all the social mores uh, and at uh, 1 o'clock today, I will be talking about my night job uh, and hunting for planets from 15 with the new inspector graph, which I have advertised on the back of my folder. When you say hunting planets, I get the picture of Elmer. <laughs> and then I'm on comics and on and on our comics or media this app, later this afternoon. I believe it would be this ballroom. Uh, anyways, it's a ballroom. Oh, oh, I'm at four to five. And I do want to repeat the recommendation to take off the pants. The author, I think her name is, I don't know if she's using Libby Parker or Olivia Harker. motivation and theme before you start right yeah, know, know what your novel is going to be about exactly before you yeah. start it before you dive in yeah, yeah. and uh, a good friend of mine recommends that one highly too and i can't remember who the author is so but it sounds like it's, it's called the inside out mind that i haven't heard of before thank you thank you all for coming thank you Thank you for listening to the Creative Play and Podcast Network, and feel free to enjoy our other shows such as D&D Journey of the Fifth Edition and Scion Ragnarok and Roll, a Scion hero to Ragnarok story. Thank you for listening.